welcome to the Thursday Pod. As you know, the Thursday Pod is our People of Anthem series where we are just sitting down with people who call Anthem Ventura home, getting to hear some of their story, what God is doing in and through them, and what he's been teaching them through this crazy time of COVID that we find ourselves in today. Um, Today, I sit down with Joseph Isaac. If you're part of our local community here, it's hard not to know who Joseph is, but uh, I'm really excited. I've never gotten him uh, around the table. Uh, into a microphone, sharing some of his story, and I'm really delighted. His story is is powerful, and even though um, there's a, a lot to it that we recorded here, there's probably even even more that we did not even dig into because of time. And so I would just encourage you, especially if you are local here in Ventura, uh, if you do not yet know Joseph, take some time to get to know him. Uh, we're going to dive into the story, and I want to give... Um, uh, a disclaimer right at the beginning. And this disclaimer is this is going to be a long episode. And so we kind of even talked, joked about it on the podcast, and we debated going back and forth on whether we should split this into two. And um, ultimately, we kept it as one podcast together because um, I, I think like it takes some time to weed into the story a little bit. And I don't want to take all that time to weed into the story and miss the payoff of what God has been teaching Joseph by splitting it into two. So just as a Disclaimer right off the top, this is a bit of a longer podcast and a longer story, but I think it is well worth your time to engage with and to hear what God has been doing in and through Joseph's life. And so um, before we dive into the podcast, if you just stumble across this because someone sent it to you, well done. So stoked that you are here. Just want to encourage you to subscribe if you don't already to make sure you get every uh, latest episode right into whatever podcast inbox you use. Um and while you're there, while you're subscribing, please do rate and review. It helps us out a ton, means the world to me, and it actually helps us kind of gain a little bit more exposure with other people who might be looking for content like this. And uh, I really am honored and grateful when I hear that the stuff we are doing here in the podcast is making a difference in your life somehow. And so I'm even more grateful when I hear that you're sharing it around. So please do share it with friends, with family, share it up on social media. Uh, that, that means a ton to us as we are kind of exploring what the future of this podcast does does look like. So thanks again for listening and let's jump into the interview I did with Joseph Isaac. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Right. I'm here with Joseph, Mr. Isaac. Hi. Himself. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being here with us. Hey, my pleasure. It's the least I could do besides saying no. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is either going to go really well or really, really poorly. I don't but think there's those, no middle space. I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive. I think it can, <laughs> it can definitely be both. And you know what? Just because you said that, I'm going to I'm going to do my best to really forge that middle ground. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a part of our People of Anthem series. Do you have any better names than that or it's just what we're rolling with? People of Anthem. Uh, oof. On the spot, I have to come up with a whole new name for your podcast. Yeah, rebrand us right Am now. I like on a marketing air. intern or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. People of Anthem. Hmm. What about. Nope, I got nothing. All right. Well, I am here with Joseph Isaac. We're, we're uh, sitting down as part of our, uh, as previously named uh, and mentioned, People of Anthem series. And really, what we're trying to do is help. Those who are part of our local community, but also those who listen and just get to know um, some of the people and some of the stories uh, here in our local community. I may be biased, but I 
think we just have some of the best people in the world. And I think God's been doing amazing things. And I think there are fascinating stories to be told uh, with the people in our in our little beach community. And so that's what's propelled some of this and why I'm excited to sit down with Joseph today. So Joseph, thank you for being here. You're in studio. I'm live. Live. <laughs> I'm live. I'm here in studio. I've been I'm doing a lot of these remote recordings and this is fun to have someone sitting next to me. Just we are in fact six feet apart though. And I'm also not making eye contact with you. I'm <laughs> pretending like this is remote. I'm staring out the window <laughs> and I'm talking with my deepest possible podcast voice. So I'm keeping it professional. Keeping Which feels it like it, it, none, none of the positives of being in person. Just pretend I'm not here. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, this is how we talk face to face. So <laughs> this is this is probably the most genuine episode that will be recorded. To paint the picture, Joseph is looking out the window. I'm staring at him and he refuses to look at me. <laughs> All right. So um, get us rolling here or this is we're going to this is going to be rough if we don't just get into <laughs> it. Uh, for those who are listening who may not know you and there are, I think, quite a few people listening in who maybe don't know you or some of the nuances of your story. Give us a little bit of who is Joseph? What's your story? What's your deal? Work, family? How'd you get here to Ventura? Give us give us some of the, the backgrounder. Yeah, uh, let's start with probably just how I got to Anthem. I have a sister slightly younger than me who uh, went to Anthem Thousand Oaks for a long time and knew uh, Bert and knew Sherry, his wife, as well. And they were, I guess, decent friends. Uh, or I, I always think I was a, I wanted to be better friends with Susan than she ever wanted to be with me. Yeah, she has that effect on people. <laughs> She's She is one of the most like desirable friends to have in any community. And I love the way she just kind of says no thanks to some people. It's pretty, <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Or I've to me at lot. least. Yeah. <laughs> so she went to Anthem Thousand Oaks and uh, my mom and I would visit her on holidays and we'd attend church services there. We each went to different churches, but we would unite as Anthem Thousand Oaks would have their services. And it was a good middle ground at the time. I lived in Long Beach and my mom lived in Valencia and my sister lived in, Thousand Oaks, where Anthem Thousand Oaks is located. So about two and a half years ago, I got a job offer from Topa Topa Brewing Company. So I make beer for a living. Cheers. And yeah, cheers. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Topa Topa. None of my, none of the things I'm saying represent them at all, for the record. They usually represent the opposite. So we'll just get that out of the air. But yeah, I got this job offer um, summer 2018. And uh, told my sister and she said, Hey, I know this guy who started a church out here. It's Anthem Ventura. I said, Oh yeah, I remember that. Then the church I was going to was in downtown LA and one of the worship leaders there knew our former worship leader, Zach. And so felt like a, felt like God was giving me like a two pronged attack to go to uh, Anthem Ventura. And one of the first meetings I had, or I guess one of the first experiences I had Exposures. Can you say that during? I don't COVID? know if you can say that now. One of yeah. the first anthem exposures I had was <laughs> there was like a happy hour night where a bunch of people from Anthem were at Topa Topa, the brewery where your place I worked. of work. Yeah. And so, and I had to meet like what felt like fifty people, <laughs> and it was such an odd. Just way hope to we just tipped well. Like, that's all. I mean, yeah, I wasn't even bartending. I was sweating and gross inside the brewery doing dumb stuff in the cellar, you know, working hard, blue collar job, really romantic image. And I come out after a long day to like 
just the most stoked church people. And <laughs> I, I thought I really like did a good job keeping the energy up, you know, but I met this dude named Matt Pedrick and we both were from the small town of Valencia. So we hit it off pretty much immediately. And that was weird. It was like a, like a bro at first sight moment. So that's kind of, that's how I got my start in Anthem. And then inevitably got roped into playing some music and uh eventually now I'm one of the worship leaders here and I love being part of it I love I'm a terrible singer and so that's not true no it's definitely true you can ask our no 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 stop I'm not trying to I'm not fishing away I'm not fishing for compliments I'm fishing for insults here talk (laughs) down to me about this one I'm an amazing guitarist and I think the whole world knows that and I'm an amazing bass player don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not humble, but I'm a bad singer. So, yeah. So I like where I'm at with Anthem. Um, I think, and I have a great home group situation, and I love. I'm that Matt had aforementioned Matt Pedrick, and I are uh, super close, and he runs a rad home group with his wife Alyssa. So that's me and Anthem. Now let's do the just me sans Anthem. Yeah, and. I was raised in a Christian home in yeah Valencia, and it was my mom and my sister and I, my parents got divorced really young, or when I was really young, and grew up in a steady Reformed Presbyterian, uh, Presbo for life mm-hmm. kind of yep, church. Yeah, yeah, Presbo. Bert for life. loves Presbyterians like in a creepy way, so <laughs> so that's why that's why I'm not making eye contact this whole time. So that's gonna get edited out, right? So yep. I grew up Presbyterian. <laughs> And it was great. I grew up with a real head heavy sense of the depth of the gospel. I think the the mind was really the gateway to the soul hmm. or the heart in in that approach to the gospel. And I mean, it even went as deep as, you know, the name of um, this pastor, R.C. Sproul, renewing your mind, which is really like a quote out of Paul, but. Renewing the be- your the mind. best just steal from Paul. So yeah. <laughs> standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. <laughs> so this this idea spoke to me. I was a very smart little kid. Um, I did a great job in elementary school. And what I didn't realize about my sense of being smart, though, was that I was a shortcut maker. Hmm. I was a way maker. Yeah. How about that? That's no, yeah, I was no. a way maker. But unpack that. That's, I want to yeah. know what you mean by that. I thought I was really book smart, but what I found out was that I was book smart in a way that would help me find the easiest way to get things done hmm. or find answers. So the best example I can give is in, f- I'm going to run this real quick. In fifth grade, we had to do a book report on inventors. I found a children's book for like four-year-olds on the Wright Brothers. Yeah. 10 pages long, all pictures, few words. I got an A++++. That's a hat trick on pluses there. <laughs> and my friends all read these books that were like 150 pages and they <laughs> struggled to get A's. So, so that, just plagiarize kids' books. That's how you get ahead. No, I didn't plagiarize. I was creative. I figured out how to take nothing and make something. Ex nihilo. You heard of it? Yeah. Well, There's eye contact on that one because that was a joke. But this whole idea of having difficulty and trying to find and forge a path through it that didn't require all the sort of things I thought were unnecessary. So whether it was like trying to, 
accomplish something in life or trying to make something happen or trying to really like any task. I thought, okay, I want to find the most efficient way forward. I don't want to just settle for hmm. the way other people are doing things. So that mindset got me in trouble with my academic career because I just tanked. So worked st- well in fifth grade, not well yeah. after. High school is where you really start to tell on yourself, I think, hmm. and you determine what kind of student you're going to be. So I had this tension growing up where I had a sense of uh, a deep sense of being a failure. And I couldn't shake that. And I would, I failed a few classes and kind of got through it, but I couldn't shake the sense that I was a failure. And it really took deep root in my identity. Um, after, after high school, kind of messed around at college, and then I got a job as a church. I, I feel like it was spoken to me a lot as a kid that I should be a pastor. Um, if you can't tell yet on this episode, I'm such a great speaker and communicator. <laughs> so I was told from a very young age, you should be a pastor. You're, you're smart. You know Bible things. You think the book of Revelation is cool. Like, you should do this. <laughs> so I got a job at a church in town as a pastoral assistant. And it was great. And I wanted to be a pastor. And I let them know that. And I did everything I could in that job. Um, a big part of that was getting married very fast, very young. Cause I felt like this is my path. This is mm. my future. And I'm, I'm getting there as fast as I can. Yeah. I was looking for that a plus plus plus. Yeah. And I got married three days after my 23rd birthday, rushed into that. Everything was very fast, fast, fast. And then I got laid off from the church three months after getting married because Whoa. I'm not a good secretary. So <laughs> They needed to hire a secretary. They by, wanted by the a, way, pastoral assistant was that code for secretary? Answer mm, calls, full church bulletins? Mm, sort of, but it was also like, it was like a pastoral intern. So yeah, some days it was like, get me coffee or lunch or whatever. But then other days it was, hey, like, let's have this conversation. Or like, can you go meet with this person? Or can we go to this conference? Like, what do you think is happening here? Hmm. What do you think's going on? So there was a lot of insight and intuition building that was going on. It wasn't just you know, day-to-day tasks. But at the end of the day, they really needed someone to be better at the day-to-day tasks (laughs) and the administration, not the big picture vision stuff. So who would have thought that interns aren't supposed to be doing vision, you know? (laughs) So my dumb mind in the upside down kingdom thought that was the case. So I went heavy and got laid off, stayed at the church. We didn't leave, no hard feelings. Uh, But I was married now and I had nowhere to go with my sense of purpose and direction. Mm. Got a job randomly through a church friend in television worked on weird shows like deadliest catch ice road truckers and axemen and dumb things like that and it was strange it was a strange industry i didn't like it what were Um, you doing for those shows i i wish you didn't ask (laughs) because i had to i had to watch all the raw footage from the field and then type what happens on each clip that came in so physical tapes come in from like alaska and they get digitized by assistant editors. Yeah. My job was to watch the digitized clips and type like shorthand key phrases yeah. for the editors to search in a database. And if you haven't watched... It sounds life-giving. If you haven't watched 16 hours of time-lapse footage <laughs> of a boat just going through waves in the Bering Sea, I don't think you've really lived. <laughs> Did I you think. have to watch all 16 hours or could you get the first uh, 10 minutes and be like, yeah, this is time-lapse. We're gonna yeah, you could, you could scroll, but you had to be careful because you could miss things. You oh. know? And there, would be a, there would be one hour long clips where there was one minute of action and the people out in the field would write notes and say, on this day, this thing happened. And so you'd search for those things and it was like looking for buried treasure 
And I mean, that is not as romantic as movies make, make it seem. I mean, it's just, it's brutal. So yeah. So you should definitely, if you watch those shows, you should thank the poor souls who are stuck in a (laughs) cave somewhere looking at a TV screen. Uh, it's, it's rough. So that just added to my sense of failure though. I, I was doing that job and like making decent money doing it, but just feeling so purposeless. And it really increased that sense that I was, I was a failure. You know, I, I had been laid off from the church and there was this funny moment where I was told to meet with this biblical counseling guy and he was supposed to counsel me through like what my job field was supposed to be. And I read this book and I did the personality test at the end. And the, the answer for me, for my results was you should be a revolutionary or a church planner. <laughs> and I said that to the guy and I said, are there, are there practical job opportunities for revolutionaries? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently you just have to go to like uh, a lot of like Latin American post-communist <laughs> countries are hiring now. Uh, update your LinkedIn guys. If that's your, if that's your vibe, you should really get down there. Revolutionary but, or church planter. Yeah. So he said, well, that's great. And I said, yeah, that's the job I just got laid off from. So, so now what? So I went and did this TV thing, started really building that sense of failure. And then, uh, you know, as the relationship I was in, as the marriage progressed, we, um, bought a condo together and like, we were really making moves to really solidify our life future. And I felt horrible inside and I couldn't open up to my friends at all about it. Uh, most of my friends were rather successful or maybe not overly successful, but they were all doing great. And everyone was, you know, we would talk about our struggles together in church, but nothing was ever like, Oh, I have, I'm plagued by this deep sense of failure. And I feel like at any moment I might sink, you know, and in high school there was a lot of depression that came in and there were definitely times where I was suicidal and I, I definitely got, I was one of those people who you get in that, that, it's like this depressing, pathetic loop of, I want to kill myself. I'm too scared to kill myself. I'm not brave enough to kill myself. I'm so depressed that I can't kill myself that I want to kill myself. And this darkness just seeps up in you. And so that darkness was in me from pretty early on. So now I'm living a great life on the outside. You know, we're homeowners, married, things are going well. Um, I just like hate my job, feeling this darkness creeping up and I can't express it to any of my friends or any of the people in my church really, because I just wanted to have that, that sense that like everything was good and that, you know, everything has worked out for the good of those who love God. And I had faith that things would be fine. Um, fast forward a little bit of time and that job just wasn't cutting it anymore. I couldn't handle it. It was a really terrible time. And my closest friend, Matthew, got me a job at this place that I can't talk about. Uh, but I got this job and it was so dumb. And I'm not going to talk about where it was because it was so dumb. My job was so dumb and it's a real bummer. And it's not the place's fault that the job was dumb, but I should not have taken that job. But I felt the pressure to find like a steady corporate job that had room for growth that I could help, you know, start a family and support the family. And I felt all these pressures from what I thought was good places. I thought these pressures were coming from the church, but then I realized they were really coming from the world. Hmm. And there's, there's a church culture that exists that puts this pressure on people to 
to act a certain way. And mm. it's maybe not the same thing that the world tells you, but in the end you feel the same, the same tension and mm. you feel the same sense of success or failure. It's just, it's like you're playing a different game. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's like moving from like, it's like saying college football and, and professional football, which have like somewhat different rules. Yeah. It's like saying, Oh no, 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 no. That's college football. You know, we're in football, but we're not of the football. Like that's, <laughs> that's like how it felt where you're like playing this game and you feel like the rules are different, but you still feel the same, um, the same burdens and you still feel the same injuries and the same hurt hmm. and you're, you're just trying to make it. So I have this job and I am now officially hitting just the lowest of the lows, but not having any sort of real peace about talking about it with anyone. Hmm. And so doing my little community groups, doing my little meetings with friends, had a little group that would meet like at Denny's at 6am. It was terrible. <laughs> and we would talk and we would be open with each other, but we, but I still couldn't be honest. Yeah. And Finally, it got to a point. Real, qu real quick, do you feel like that was a you thing or do you feel like that was a environmental thing? Like a nature versus nurture issue? I would, I would probably say it was me, yeah. but I think that the culture around me like accentuated. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say that I, the onus is always on an individual to decide if they're going to be honest and open and vulnerable mm. or not. But without the invitation, it can sure. be so easy to just be closed off sure unintentionally sure. even if no one's asking you to be honest and forthright you could easily just lie your whole life sure because why not like yeah. what's what's the harm you know so i haven't met a ton of people who are just so straightforward and honest and open just because they thought it was you know like naturally virtuous and they've been that way their whole life or something i'm sure there are plenty of people out there maybe i just hang out with scoundrels and rascals and, and <laughs> low lives or whatever but yeah for the most part i think people tend to go with the flow and the flow is definitely not to project an open honest vulnerability right off the bat with people so 2012 uh, my dad passed away and it was pretty sudden and it was tough it was a hard way to watch him go out he died of lung cancer um, I didn't know he had lung cancer f for about the last eight or 10 months of his life and hadn't heard anything from him. So his wife called me and said, you should come out to Las Vegas. He's passing away and you should see him before he goes. He didn't want you to see him like this, but you should see him. So I'm not going to get too involved in the, the details of what happened there, but it was brutal. But I will say, because God has a cosmic sense of irony, my... Uh, ex-wife, my sister and I drive to Las Vegas for the funeral. This is a week after the first visit. Go out there and we check into this hotel. We each booked rooms at the Rio. And my sister gets her room and uh, my ex-wife, oh, spoiler alert, ex-wife, sorry, I jumped the gun on that. She gets up to the counter and they say, hey, you know, we just want to let you know um, we upgraded you to a complimentary suite because no reason we just had a suite and you can have a suite. So the trip I take to Las Vegas for one night to go to bury my dad in the desert, God is seeing fit in that moment to give my ex-wife and I a penthouse suite like at a casino, which is something that people, I don't know. It's, it frustrates me to this day. I, when people say like, oh, what are you going to ask God when you get to heaven? I'm going to say, why? 
<laughs> why? Of all the trips, why, man? Why? I couldn't even do anything. Like, what was I supposed to do? I just stared out the window, which happened to be 40 feet tall because yeah. it was a two-story suite. So thanks. That was cool. So, yeah, quick note. So the funeral happens, and we're burying my dad, and this old man I've never seen before comes up, and he opens a flip phone, and there's a picture on the little... I guess LCD display screen <laughs> and it's a picture of my dad when he was young and I that was the moment where I broke down because that was the moment where I felt like oh man my whole life he's been the bad guy he was the one who wasn't you know Christian and wasn't leading me to Christ and was telling me like no don't get married so young you need to go out and sleep with a ton of women and see the world and you know I just wrote him off for my whole life I wrote off everything he said. And in that moment, I realized that how much of him was in me. Hmm. And I identified being like him as being a failure. Hmm. And so much of my world came crashing down. So basically, I lost, I lost my will to believe in anything I had believed in at that point. Because it felt like everything I had been living was a lie. And it crushed me and I couldn't really open up to people. Everyone gave me my space and people cared about me and people prayed for me and people were so loving toward me and my family. And it's crazy how detached I became hmm. from all that. And I accepted it, but I wasn't able to really dwell on the grace they were showing me as much as I was dwelling on the, the doubt inside me and the darkness inside me. So longer story short, I ended up just cheating on my wife and having an affair with a coworker because I, I wanted to feel love for who I was, not for who I had the potential to be. I wanted to be seen not as a failure. Uh, I wanted to be seen as a success, as a, you know, a shining star of what life could be like. And, and, you know, I didn't realize it, but I was incredibly emotionally unstable, go figure. And the person who made me feel that way was another person, another soul who was completely emotionally unstable. And it led to me having an affair and feeling like, oh, this person actually loves me. This is what love feels like. And I hit rock bottom. It came out pretty much immediately. Hmm. Um, I was I moved in with some friends and then I still didn't see the light of day. I just kind of felt like, no, I need to go further with this. This relationship is real. And yeah, it was not real, turned out. But I kept feeling like I needed to do this. My friends asked me to move out. Um, and this was like over the course of a month. So I lived out of my car for three, four weeks, ended up getting laid off, not laid off, fired from my job because I was just tanking. Hmm. Everything was just going straight downhill and yeah, hit the lowest low, the darkest place I've ever been. And I'll never forget waking up in my car one morning and it was like, the spirit just moved and said, this isn't it. Hmm. This isn't it. You know, this isn't it. And you know what you need to do. And so it was brutal, but uh, I worked out some reconciliation with my wife and we I moved back in. Um, my friend Matthew uh, is not a part of Anthem, but his family basically adopted me. My family... And I, I, I treated them really poorly that whole time I was having an affair. And that whole time I was not living at home, uh, 
I just kind of distanced myself from them. And I, I'm thankful that Matthew's family kind of took me in, but also kind of pushed me to help make things better and to fix things. They didn't just take me in to like bring me safe Harbor. They took me in to rehabilitate me Hmm. and get me back. And so for two years I went through really tough, uh, counseling and therapy, uh, couples therapy, which then turned into singles therapy because the couples therapist said I needed to work on a bunch of stuff. And, <laughs> and I ended up finding myself over the course of a year and a half getting back to the same place hmm. where all of a sudden now all of my weakness, all of my sin got exposed. Everyone knew I was a cheater. Everyone knew I had the scarlet letter and my identity as a failure was like, I mean, it was, just it might as well have been a, a t-shirt I was wearing um, in the community, you know. And so there was so much grace that came from people because they were willing to love us and love me, and they were trying to bring us back and reconcile us. But this burden of feeling like, oh man, I failed. I'm never going to be seen for anything but a failure, kept sticking with me. And in that time, I got the job, my first job at a brewery, and. Finally, I got after a year and a half, I got a a job from a really, really good popular brewery and it was in Anaheim. So for what felt like maybe six months, but really felt like 10 years, I would five days a week drive from Magic Mountain to Disneyland for perspective. And I would wake up at 3.30, leave the house at 3.45, get to work around five, sleep till seven, start work at 7.30 or eight finish work at four or four thirty, wait out traffic till about six thirty, get home around eight thirty to nine. And that was brutal. And that caused such a burden to develop in our marriage because I, I couldn't do it. I mean, I was, I was succeeding at work and I was getting, I was, I felt like I was finally finding this career that was helping me not feel like a failure. Hmm. So subtly I was, putting my hope and faith in my job. And I didn't see that, but it felt really good to be good at something. And all the stuff I was good at up to that point was being in bands and like making music or being on the worship (laughs) team and all the stuff that had nothing to do with any sort of like career path. Sure. Sure. So ultimately what ended up happening is I got to such a dark place where I thought I don't want to cheat on my wife again. And I don't want to do this. I can't be this person. And I don't think I'm a failure, but I'm going to choose this career path over this marriage. So after making a covenant with this person and her family and my family in front of God and in front of all of our friends, I just had to look her in the eye and and say, "I I can't do this anymore. And that was easily the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And, and it was tough. And I, I mean, I, that was 2015. That was basically like March, 2015. And I mean, it took a solid three years maybe to like finally come out of the the deep spiral that I was in. Um, I had a lot of really good friends in um, this church community in LA called City Light Church. And they, really cared for me and kept me from 
falling too far off into the deep end. And my friend Matthew stuck with me uh, the whole time. He never, never turned away. And we're still really, really close. So that community helped me kind of stay afloat. And eventually getting the job up here was very appealing because I just needed to get out of sort of the headspace, but also the geography and like all the bad memories I had of LA and all the dark things I'd gone through and all the people I'd been with. And, um, yeah, just like you, you hit these lows and it's funny cause like people always think of ghosts as people, but ghosts could just be like places and you can, you can experience I'm not saying this really, sorry. I'm not trying to say like, this is like a sci-fi channel show. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying that like you can, you can be somewhere and know there are ghosts there. Sure. Ghosts yeah. of like baggage. Yeah. Yeah. But if you see baggage laying around, it's probably like a bomb. That's what they teach you at airports. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about ghosts. It's like harder to, this is a deep metaphor, Bert. I am tracking. So yeah, I needed to get out of where I was living in Long Beach and I was blessed enough to have this opportunity to come work at Topa Topa and move to Ventura. And that was, yeah, it was 2018. So, um, even in the time since I've lived here, um, man, guys like Matt Pedrick and Danny Keating and Luke Robinson and Zach Burrow have like really pulled me through. I'm sorry, I guess I should say, and Bert Alcorn. Yeah, no, 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 that's all right. All right. <laughs> well, we, I feel like we had to do a lot of work together and that makes it hard to like, you know, that's, that's just a different birds helped me actually feel like being part of working at a church again. He's rehabilitated that part of me and that's not giving him credit, (laughs) but that's just any credit. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's just like a, I'm grateful for that. I just, those like Matt has been the steadiest person. Um, if you don't know Matt, that dude is like, he is just steadfast. Yeah. That might as well be his name. And for a person who who hits the highs and the lows like I do, mm. it's like high highs, low lows. Matt always reminds me of um, the way that the Bible talks about like making the paths level for the king. Like I see that as Matt's like mission in life is that he takes people's highs and he takes their lows and he paves this beautiful flat path so that like he shows you like, this is the way of Jesus when he does that. And I, I'm forever grateful for that. So yeah, well, we're going to get him on here eventually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the plan. He's on everything all the time. <laughs> he's, <laughs> it's probably he's like, everywhere. Yeah. He's everywhere. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's all over the place. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask then. And first of all, I'll say thank you for sharing all that. I don't know if, for people even know who know you, I don't know if they even know pieces of your story like that. And so thanks for sharing. And, um, I think, I think what I'm, I'm wondering is, so, I mean, that's 2018 where you kind of land here and then there's this evolution of, um, uh, uh, of even some of, let's say umbrella term, your development, your processing through faith, your processing through life, career, family, job, everything like that. Um, and that's a relatively short amount of time to when COVID hits. And uh, I think it's safe to say that's been fairly disruptive for, for anybody. Um, so you're two years-ish in Ventura. COVID hits in a major way for us here at like middle to end of March. Mm-hmm. 
so what what is it even having some of that story still kind of front front of our brain how does a global pandemic factor into some of these things you're you're growing in and, and wrestling through yeah i think oh man the key aspect for my experience would have to be loneliness um and in, not just in a romantic sense i would say two senses loneliness in the sense of um you know, lacking community, I'm a fairly community driven person, I would say. Um, I have introverted tendencies, maybe, but I don't think a lot of people think of me that way. I think they think of me as like this raging tall. extrovert, yeah, raging. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely I walk into a room, I kick the door open, mm-hmm. knock over some chairs mm-hmm. and I miss meeting in person. That, that is that entrance was the best. <laughs> that's how you walked into this office. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's a, I'm like a professional wrestler, which I don't watch, but I know that they have real big entrances. So <laughs> we're going to keep working on those pyrotechnics. I think the community loneliness was a big one. And then definitely the romantic loneliness. Yeah. So, uh, I went through a breakup pretty early on into the pandemic and that was brutal. Um, I, that was like, it was probably May, June. And I, that was a tough thing. It, I, it sent me reeling for a long time and I got closure close to Thanksgiving and sort of had like the exit interview. And I've, I found out so much stuff about myself and how I acted and, that I had not a blind eye to, but just sort of like, I didn't really have a sense of what was going on. So being completely exposed and blown up and shredded is not fun, but sometimes you need that to sort of see parts of yourself you had no idea about. And that was tough. But outside of that relationship uh, dying in like a fiery fiery accident outside of that (laughs) uh i would say that sense for romantic companionship was heightened you know sure just by the fact that i couldn't see people sure and trying to meet people was really tough and and just i mean you know the world kept shutting down and most of my friends here are married and ventura is not like rife with single christian girls or at least you know not, not really at Anthem. Like we have a really small community. Everyone knows each other and, uh, you can really dip your toe in the pool only one time, I think. And then you're pretty much you're out. So yeah. So <laughs> it was tough. It was hard. You know, I'm, I'm advanced in age. I, I was advanced or I am advanced in age. I'm in, uh, I'm 35 and a half and you're yeah. in the 35 to 45 bracket. Uh, yeah, see, I'm up in the bracket, which which is great because I'm still making like minimum wage salary and I have a wedding ring tattoo on like mildly webbed hands that I didn't find out about until I got married and put a ring on for the first time and thought this doesn't fit right. So, yeah, come to find out mildly webbed fingers, uh, got a wedding ring tattoo and I started working with my hands so that my ring wouldn't get caught in any of the stuff and uh, still got it. Still got the tattoo. So dating without a plague, pretty challenging, pretty interesting. Uh, dating within a plague, though, let me tell you what, so exciting. What a thrill. What a rush to be had. <laughs> you just, you see no one except your small circle, you know. You also, I mean, I had a mustache for a lot of it, and people wouldn't know because of my mask, you know. You could find a babe with no teeth and not know until, like, date three, four. 
Maybe. Is that when you remove the mask? Is after date three? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have like the etiquette. I'm just trying to cover my bases here. <laughs> Not those bases, guys. I know we're talking about dating. I'm talking about etiquette bases. They're very different. They're like cricket bases. All right. So that was brutal. Loneliness, I think, would definitely be the biggest word. And, and <laughs> being removed from friends and not having, man, not being able to see or hug Luke Robinson uh, has, okay, maybe the hugging's overkill, but like not being able to <laughs> hang out with Luke Robinson has been so brutal. And um, yeah, that dude, like he's an excellent host. His wife Zoe's an excellent host too. And they're just such gracious people and just yeah. feeling that it's like, you know what it's like, Bible nerds? It's like as if the temple curtain was like put back up hmm. and you're just feeling like, whoa, I had spiritual community with all these people and now I have to go to the high priest first to like have that. And it's tough. Was that deep enough as a Bible? Cut? That's good. Yeah. Okay. Sick. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, so loneliness has been the hardest thing. You just want me to talk about the hardest part, right? Not the like solution or like how. No, I just just genuinely, what's it been like for you? Yeah, it's been that. It's been it's been very very lonely. Not to ruin a moment or anything, but we we did have a little intermission here because I ran out of space on an SD card. This is a two-parter, probably made ten years ago. So, welcome (laughs) to the sequel, everybody. Welcome to the sequel. Uh, So. I want to pick up where we left off, but I, I want to pick up with a, uh, we, even in the, just the intermission, I was rapidly clearing off a, an, an SD card. We were just talking about how, like, um, if we stopped the story there, your story sounds very sad. I'm sad. <laughs> I'm a sad person. And, and you've been through quite a bit. Uh, and, and I think you represent actually more people than you know when you talk about um, like loneliness throughout COVID in, in particular. And, and so what I want to actually do is I want to not gloss over the hardness of it, but to sit in that and to, for, for those who are like myself, who are maybe married and have kids and um, loneliness was, has not been a problem from a <laughs> kid parenting marriage standpoint. Mm-hmm. I've had other problems uh, being whatever the opposite of lonely is too unlonely and needing a little bit of lonely time. Right. But it's, I, I don't think I don't have that unique lived experience that you have, but I think there are many listening who, who have gone through that and um, are going through it. And what, what I think I would like to do with you is to just through the simple framework of, what has God been doing or teaching? I would like to even point to sort of like a hopeful, like not that it takes away the feeling of loneliness and not that we gloss over it and pretend it's not there, but in tandem with walking through real deep emotional struggles, wrestling, like how, what does the gospel have to do with any of that? How do we, how do we step into that space and, and meet God in that moment? And what, what is he doing and, and teaching you through this, all this, you know, the last year of COVID, but also last year of COVID stands on, on the shoulders of, you know, the last 10 or 15 years of oh, the other colossal the disaster other. years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it's like, what, what does the gospel do in any of that? What is, what is God doing in you? What is he shaping in you? Yeah. I think that, you know, whenever you're going through something hard, I think the word hope really comes up, right? How profound was that? Man, so I good. should write books. <laughs> And I think when it comes to hope, there's a sense of longing for what's to come. 
And something Luke and I always talk about, you know, as Presbyterians, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we talk about this idea, the concept of already but not yet. And it's something you've talked about from time to time. I would say not enough, but, you know, I'm just whatever. Already never but satisfy not yet. the Presbos. No, yeah, no, we're the frozen chosen, man. We'll <laughs> never be happy. So we talk about this already but not yet concept and as a kid I used to freak out some of my Bible uh, Sunday school teachers because the book of Revelation was my favorite uh, not because of the, like the Lord of the Rings side of it I don't like Lord of the Rings and if you like Lord of the Rings that's cool embrace your nerdiness that's <laughs> fine like you're this is your time to shine like you don't have to be a jock you know like everyone's cool <laughs> was that enough Anyway, <clears throat> sorry, I'm hard team C.S. Lewis, not team J.R.R.R.R.R. That's the rivalry, the two of them? Yeah, you have but to pick they, a side. Weren't they bros? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but so were Jacob and Edward in the Twilight Saga, but Ooh, like, whatever. Ouch. Deep I'm cut. just saying. So, How's that for cultural relevance, guys? <laughs> 15 years ago, that L- Lord of the Rings slapped. and a 15-year-old teen movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, the Book of Revelation was my favorite because it, it told us... One, it was the part, the only part of the Bible, really, where, like, we're in the story. Hmm, yeah. And because you never know when, when the big ending, the big finale, the grand finale actually will happen, right? So, in theory, like, the book of Revelation could be happening right now. So, I love this idea that, like, Revelation makes the Bible a living document, not just, like, a historical one. Yeah. And I also love that the good guys win in the end. I've had a lifelong problem with the bad guys winning. I hate the movie The Departed. I hate it. I watched it one time, the elevator scene, which I'm not going to talk about. But man, when Leonardo DiCaprio gets shot in the face. <laughs> Spoiler what? alert. What? Spoiler no alert. No way, that movie's so old, but it's so frustrating. All it's of that so time, all that, yeah, whatever. All that time and energy. Well, you can't, energy. you can't talk about the elevator scene without talking about the apartment scene later. Come on, it, it all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's great. Point taken, though. But I like when the good guys win. Yeah. It's a good feeling, and it's hopeful. It's a happy feeling, you know? Like, if you're a Star Wars nerd, people love Empire Strikes Back. But I like Return of the Jedi, because at the end, they win, and they have a big party with a bunch of anthropomorphic teddy bears, (laughs) and it's weird. It's creepy, but it's fun. It's It's a big party. So Revelation, to me, is not just like, dragons and beasts and uh you know the whore of babylon but it's also (laughs) it's also definitely a giant party Hmm. but people can't see the party because of the weird prophetic speak that happens sure so we are all probably not very well versed in first century jewish apocalyptic literature and i am (laughs) so i'm not talk to i'm not but if you just if you don't worry about trying to understand what's going on as much as you just try to like get through what's going on, you can see the like the hope in the book of Revelation is the exact same thread that's been tied all the way back from the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Adam and Eve get kicked out, and in the book of Revelation, we all come home. Yeah. And we're all back together again yeah. with our maker. That's so good. And that is the party, the eternal party. So in this time the hope I've had has always been tied to the sense of like future and the sense of what is promised to come. But what I've learned in this year is that you have to, as an individual, you really have to pursue Hmm. that same thing. And I'm not saying for yourself, you have to pursue that for the ones around you. 
the biggest lesson I've learned for having that hope that dwells in you, keep you buoyant and afloat, is to not dive down into your own issues, but instead do your best to pursue the people around you and give them hope. It's not ironic, and I hate when people use the word ironic wrongly. <laughs> Wrong? Wrongish? It's like the people who use literally. For I literally use literally all the time, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. Figuratively, I use it rarely, <laughs> but it's this sense that, like, you were built for blessing. Yeah. Thrice lyric. <clears throat> so you were built for blessing. And so as a, as a person who lives in an, a, an American society that rewards me for consuming and rewards me for, for taking things in, mm-hmm. I was built for putting things out there. Hmm. And I was, I was born and built for, in the gospel, carrying other people's burdens. Yeah. All of the stuff I went through, all the darkness and the heaviness and the sadness and the sorrow, all the stuff that I, I brought into this world, all of the pain that I conjured and put onto people around me, my family, my friends, my ex-wife, her family, her friends, all of that is horrible and it's heavy and it sinks me from time to time. But in all of that, there is this hope that my anchor, the thing that drags me down, the millstone around my neck can actually help the people around me float. There's this relative heaviness where no one's gone through what I've gone through because I've gone through it. That's been my life. But I haven't gone through what the people around me have gone through either. Mm -hmm. And so by just throwing my millstone out into the ocean and saying, I'll go to the deepest depths, but I will turn this millstone in Christ into a life preserver for others. Actually, I'm not turning it into it. Sorry. Jesus is the one turning the millstone into a life preserver. He's the one who's redeemed us. Just to clarify, I don't want people (laughs) to think I have bad theology, okay? Or soteriology. The point is, those things that weigh us down, those burdens, those heavy sorrows, they get used to actually lift other people up. And I've seen that here at Anthem. And I've, yeah. I've been pretty, man, when you hit rock bottom, when you have nothing left to lose, there's no shame in just being open. Yeah. Like, I can tell people, hey, I'm a cheater and an adulterer. And like, in the, in the eyes of people around me, they'll always see me that way. But... Because I know that, I can say that to anyone. I can tell literally anyone on the street my past and tell them like, yeah, and I've been on a path of redemption that has seen some very low lows. Hmm. But hopefully, and this is where it gets kind of like woo-woo, as Luke says, (laughs) people see the lows in someone else and then it it makes them more honest about their own lows sure. and comfortable. And, and it's not that like I've done worse stuff than you. So show me, you know, yours cause I've shown you mine or anything, but it's more of the sense of, Hey, we're all in this together. And yeah, we get told to be successful and told to pursue all these things. And, and man, it's going to sound like I'm criticizing Anthem, but I'm not. But I think that the church pushes like the way of Christ in such a typically disciplined way where it's like, you have to hold on to these things, to these rhythms and these, these actions and stuff. But I think people lose context of 
the value of their failures and how our failures, like the, the harder we fail, it's not like Christ had to work more to bring us back. Hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. the worse we were or are, it's not like Jesus had to get nailed to the cross an extra time because of that. Yeah. There's no cap, no limit. Nope. There is no limit to his grace. And in the same sense, there's no limit to how our pasts and our paths forward can be radically changed and altered simply by living in this community. And so in this time of COVID, what I've learned is I, I have to pursue that community with the people around me. And I've, and I, my community will tell you, and they'll all tell you, you can ask Luke, you can ask Zach, you can ask Matt, you can ask Danny. I have hit low lows and I have, <laughs> I have dragged them down to my lows constantly. And I have also tried my hardest to, to help lift those guys up. Um, and they've lifted me up constantly. I'm not using hyperbole to say that those guys have saved my life because I, I know that without that sense of community, without that sense of gospel being lived out and gospel being preached to this tortured soul that sure, maybe I wasn't, you know, brave enough to kill myself as a high schooler, but man, being lost as an adult, whew, there's like, yeah. there are definitely times where you feel like, what's the point? Hmm. You know, what is the point of this? And so in this community, we have people who are all maybe secretly, maybe not thinking to themselves, like, what is it? Why are, why am I doing this? Why am I struggling? Why am I fighting so hard just to like, just to make it barely. And that's, that's where that hope where you know the story ends and the good guys win and you know there's a party and you know what Christ did and you know that he brings you life now and he leaves his spirit when he ascends to the throne and that spirit is the spirit of God dwelling in our hearts and when we pour into each other, the spirit moves and we pour into each other, we pursue each other in this time of loneliness. Luke and Zoe and I have had some amazing conversations. Um, we had an amazing Zoom dinner and like we've had driveway conversations where I've been f- probably 45 feet away and like <laughs> Luke would lower a basket with bread and we would like, you know, we'd wear masks and like we, I'll do anything to have that community with him with no shame or judgment either way. I mean, he knows I'm a social two-bit floozy and I know he is like, a social security man. Like he is just like, he's keeping it tight. He is not, his circle is small Mm -hmm. and he is locked down, you know? And the two of us can have that community in multiple ways. And that's the sort of thing that if you're really feeling weighed down by loneliness and if you're feeling weighed down by your past, you really have to see how Christ turns that millstone around your neck into a life preserver for somebody else. And in doing so, you'll also be set free. He says his burden, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if you think that's just on an individual basis, it's just not true. Yeah. It's not true. We do it for each other. We yeah. are the flock. We are the body. Mm-hmm. And we have to pursue each other. And that's not the answer to loneliness. It doesn't make the loneliness go away, but it definitely definitely reminds you of the purpose. You know, yeah. This world is not it. 
mm-hmm. this is not the end. And so yeah. I'm grateful for those dudes. I'm grateful for the community. I'm grateful for Christ pushing me to pursue people. I'm grateful for even feeling those low times too, to be reminded of what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, my hope is not in this world. It's not in this future. My hope is not in my job getting better or making more money. My hope is not in the girlfriend that I have. Is that a bomb you just dropped? That's a bomb. Oh, that's a Bob blah, blah, <laughs> law bomb. <laughs> law blog, law blah. Radio silence. <laughs> Nothing. You don't want to say anything. All right. Yeah, fine. Well, her name's Raleigh. And it's like the city in big Carolina and I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Oh, we're going to get into it. It's pretty recent off air. Yeah. We don't need to talk about it. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, I hit some low lows and it's not the promise of having a girlfriend or the promise of finding things out, you know, about yourself or the promise of, um, Hey, I developed a new habit and like, I'm, I'm so efficient as a human now or the promise of like home workouts or anything. It's, it's the promise of being a part of God's people mm. forever, yeah. being a part of that party forever. And hey, babies, we're just in cocktail hour right now. You know, <laughs> we haven't gone in yet. It hasn't yeah. been settled. And it's tough. You know, there are lots of awkward conversations going on in the, in the moment. You're out there feeling like, man, when is this party going to get started? It's probably not a timely analogy because no one's been to a party in a, a year and we, a half. We've all forgotten what parties are. All right. Yeah. So bad analogy. My bad. My bad. <laughs> but but definitely there's there's this already but not yet. And we have to cling to that. Yeah. And whatever we're suffering in right now is nothing compared to the grace and the joy and the peace that we'll have together as a community in God's presence. Uh, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty forever. You know, there's and that's, you know, what you're pulling from is, is not only Revelation, but Romans 8, and the groanings of this world are nothing in comparison. And, I, and it makes me think of the, I think, top five tragically misinterpreted verses is, <laughs> is Romans 8, 28, oh, uh, yeah. up there along with I can do all things through Christ who strengthens <laughs> me, which people use for like weightlifting competitions. Yeah. And Paul's you know, actually talking about like <laughs> generosity, whatever. But. Fun fact about that verse too. Yeah. Hey, where's the church in Philippi right now? Ooh. Well, they don't exist, so I guess they can't do all things, huh? <laughs> huh? Am I right? So this the verse is Romans eight twenty eight, right? For you know, all things work together for the good of those who are called. Yada yada. We all we all know that one, and we all cling to it anytime we're going through something bad. But I think we cling to it for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. because we think the all things is God's sort of sovereign puppeteering, and good is whatever I define for me is good in this moment. So God's up Mm. there puppeting the universe to make sure my life is easy and comfortable. And when it's not, we lose our faith in God. And when it is, we're saying thank you to our vending machine, God. But what's actually happening is, is in that verse, Paul is saying that like God works all things, even the bad stuff, right? The Genesis 50, like what God intended or what man intended for evil, God used for good. Like he's using all the garbage of this life and all of our baggage and stories and good and bad to work out good for us, which is not momentary in the moment good, but which is the kind of eternal good that you're talking about. And that he's mm-hmm. weaving all of this together for our ultimate benefit, which I think for most of us in our immaturity, we don't even fully realize what our good even is, but we can cling to the hope that like God's at work in the mess and 
even if we can't see it right now, and even if we can't see it in a year or five years or 10 years, mm. that we can like, we trust in a God who is not like lighting a fire on our lives just to watch it burn, but he's actually using all of this, all of our mistakes, all of our poor decisions, all of our good decisions, all of our moments of obedience, uh, into our ultimate good and I, like our as humanity or our community's ultimate good as well. And it's good. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, and honestly, in the hardest moments of life, there's something worth clinging on to there. I like that you just, you just like, you know, soapbox for so long. You're like, and it's good. It's good. Like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, I could tell you it was good. I could give you some affirmation. No. You know, that verse from Genesis that you mentioned, yeah. just casually mentioned, uh, what, Sorry, what story is that from? Oh, Joseph. Oh, man. Wow. How meta is that? So meta. Yeah, and you know what's even weirder? Like what Joseph intended for evil. Yeah. This Joseph. Like <laughs> me, Joseph. I mean, God, what did he do, Bert? This was supposed to be like an alley-oop, but you're turning it into like an awkward I know, I'm dunk. making this real difficult for you Yeah, right why? Well, I'm you just, don't you want know. to tell people what God did <laughs> with the things I intended for evil, all the hurt and pain and sorrow I caused and experience. You don't God wanna... intended for good. Yeah. See? And you're wearing a striped coat right now. So the similarities <laughs> are bound. Um, let's, this has already been long enough. Uh, two-parter. I, it's got to be a two-parter. <laughs> it's either a two-parter and people just got so bummed out after the first yeah. part that they didn't listen to the second part. They have to or it's back. been just the longest episode we've ever put out and hopefully people are still listening. Look, I don't know what's going to happen in the edit bay. You've been in the edit bay. Who knows true. what could happen in the edit bay? Ships sink in the edit bay. But as we're, as we're bringing this to a close, what is, um, in light of all of that, uh, and, and, there are, and remember there are people who are listening who are part of our community here who know you, love you, and have been stoked on this, and people who have no idea who you are. Um, how would you, what's maybe like one or two or whatever, like how would you encourage them in light of this? Like how would you encourage them to, I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to overcomplicate the question. How would you encourage them? I would go to John 21, which in this time has been this incredible passage. The thing I didn't talk about, which I should have talked about instead of just talking about hope, which was so dumb. What a waste of time for everyone. I'm sorry. I should have <laughs> spoken to the value of communion. It's really what I was leading up to. Uh, if you know me whatsoever, you know I'm a just a staunch advocate. First off, I'm a man of the people. Mm. So, you know, pastors don't tend to like me because I, like I like to say power to the people. Huh? A revolutionary. Yeah, right? Communion Joke's is... Joke's on you, so am I. I've tried <laughs> to blow up our church three or four times. Yeah, I've told people to leave our church. <laughs> Look at that. Wait, why are we talking about this on it? This is getting edited out. So... Communion, I think, is the ultimate act of the people of God yeah. being together. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and it's great that it happens when we gather on Sundays, but I am definitely one of those people who's into guerrilla communion, where when you gather, when two or three are gathered. To be clear, guerrilla with an O or with a U? Definitely with a guerrilla mask, <laughs> if you have one, that's for sure the people best way to do Some weird it. stuff, just got to clarify. Oh, man. Let's move for on. The, Let's move on. For, Let's for move all on. the furries. It, Please <laughs> move on real podcast. quick, real quick. Apologies. Move on. <laughs> so G-U-E Rilla yeah, 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 communion, yeah. <laughs> which I would say is is this idea. You want to call it flash mob communion? No, I like no, gorilla communion. Yeah, gorilla is way yeah. better. It's revolutionary. Yeah. Flash mobs are for losers. <laughs> uh, so this idea is that communion is like when we gather together, 
we we break bread, we have wine or grape juice, and and we do that to. You know, we're not doing that just to have these deep, heavy moments as individuals. We're doing that to to rehearse. It's like the yeah. wedding rehearsal dinner. Yeah, it's practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people recognize the value in having that sort of that prelude to the ultimate communion. But when we're there together and here's a practice, man, I keep talking about Luke and Matt and Zach and Danny, but here's a practice that they like, better Luke, listen to this or those are all going to be just wasted don't. references. Luke was just on a podcast about bread and he killed it. And Zach was on a podcast about being smart and he killed it. And like, <laughs> man, I, oof, this is going to be tough to live up to. But I would say like Luke had someone in his life talked about the value of taking communion and, and serving your, community with it in Mm -hmm. the sense of breaking off a piece of bread, you know, and serving someone and saying, this is the body of Christ broken for you. So-and-so insert name here. You don't have to touch the bread now, but like having communion, even we've done it on zoom recently with a few of us, um, having this opportunity to have communion and to say it to someone to their face using their name, making eye contact. We had a a worship team meeting over a year ago now where we did that. And it was was heavy. You say it was awful. No, I said it was powerful. It was powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. in like the truest sense of the word, it was like, so there was so much awe. It was full of awe. Full of awe. It was so full of awe (laughs) that, yeah, it was heavy. I mean, it was like an emotional moment and it wasn't because of any of us. It was just this moment of like, wow, we're in this together in Christ. And like what Christ did becomes so personal. Yeah. But then when you're hearing it spoken, even to the people around you and you realize like, man, this community is so deep. And that's the thing I think that we really need to like seek and encourage each other with is communion. And yeah. so John 21 thing I would go to, I think is the most timely communion verse. I read this to my home group when I had to read for communion. Recently. I didn't correct you before. I'll correct you now. It's an anthem community, Joseph. Yeah. Hey, man, off brand, you know, (laughs) you didn't bring me on here because I'm a company stooge, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So in this anthem community thing that well well done, Sooch. Yeah. uh, Yeah. That's what that's what happens. Uh, We do communion together. And I read this verse and I'm not going to read it. I'm going to give you guys the Joseph paraphrase, which is borderline heresy, (laughs) borderline. But you should read you should read it. It's John 21. And just to give you some context, uh, Jesus is back from the dead um, and he's appeared to his disciples in a real ghost story way where they're just meeting in like locked rooms. They're afraid for their lives and he just appears and they, they can't believe it. You know, they're, ha- they're just bewildered. And so that happens. Then Thomas happens. So John talks about Thomas, like doubting Thomas, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sees Jesus. Jesus says, touch these holes, like see what's going on. And Thomas believes. And then, you know, it's a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. So in all this, you might have forgotten that Peter denied Christ three times. Peter's probably on suicide watch. And so John 21 picks up and the disciples don't know what to do because Jesus is just like randomly showing up in rooms. He's like materializing. <laughs> so they like, they don't know what to do. It's very Pe- force ghosty of him. It, oh, he doesn't have to be a Star Wars thing all the time. Why do you have to make things Star Wars? <laughs> so Peter is on suicide watch. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. He's a fisherman. He's going to go fishing. Some of the disciples are like, yeah, dude, you probably shouldn't be alone right now because you denied Christ three times and now he's just popping up out of nowhere. Yeah. So you're probably scared that he's going to like haunt you forever. 
Could you imagine that being haunted by like <laughs> Jesus Christ? So Peter's like, I'm going to go fishing. It's all I can do. Some of the disciples are like, yeah, 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 we'll go with you. We don't want you to be alone. They go fishing. Thank you for that strictly orthodox paraphrase of uh, what's happening. I'm not done yet. That was just the context. <laughs> I'm just setting the scene. So here's the story. This is John 21. They, they go fishing. They go out all night. These are fishermen. They can't catch a single fish. Okay. So sun comes up. They're struggling. They're sweating. They've got nothing. Some dude is on the shore on the beach and they see him and he's like, hey, guys, what's up? Have you caught anything? You know, that's what happens sometimes. You walk by fishermen on the beach. You're like, hey, you catch anything? And sometimes they'll be like, oh. hey, are you good at your job or awful at your job? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, you just like it's a like friendly, like, conversation. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I caught a couple things. No big deal. This guy says that, and they don't recognize this person at all. They just see some guy on the beach, and they're like, no, nah, we haven't caught anything. And this dude says, have you tried the right side of the boat? So, and he's on the side of the that, shore. Can we just say that's the equivalent of the uh, IT person saying, have you turned it off and on? Yeah. Totally. But also, <laughs> here's the thing. An IT person is talking to someone who doesn't know how computers work. And this is one of my favorite aspects. I'm going to blow the mic up real quick. Some dude on the beach, you're on a boat fishing all night. The sun comes up. You've caught nothing. You've fished your whole life. You know how fishing works. And you know fishing's all just luck of the draw, right? Some dude is like, hey, have you tried the right side of the boat yet? And you're like, are you serious? I'm going to murder this guy. <laughs> I'm going to kill this person. There's no way. Who does this clown think they are? Yeah. They do it, and all of a sudden, they can't even get the net on the boat, right? It's so full of fish. That happens. Peter loses his mind because then they were like, oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> Peter loses his mind, and he basically, he's been sweating all night. He's wearing almost nothing, it says. Mm. He puts on his Patagonia puffy and jumps into the water to yeah, swim. Yeah. So he's putting on his Sunday's best to go meet Jesus, and he's like, I got to go apologize or, or whatever he's saying, right? I got to go seek Jesus out. He goes up there, they get back on the land, they get there, and Jesus already has a fire cooking. Like, he's already got fish and bread. Yeah, he's, he's ready. He's got it. And he says, like, hey, come have breakfast. And they, like, eat, and he says, hey, bring your fish, too. And that's part one. So with <laughs> communion, all I'm trying to get at is we live our lives, we struggle so hard. We go, I've toiled and worked and struggled to repent and to wash away my own sin, my own cheating on, on my wife, my own like sexual failures, my own failures of greed, my own failures of arrogance, my own failures of pride, like all these things. And I've struggled so hard my whole life to wash them away, knowing full well that the only thing that can wash away all my sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm trying to bring him everything I can, you know, and he's just like, yeah, but have you tried the right side of the boat yet? <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I have Jesus, you know, but then I do. And then here's a spiritual community in mm -hmm. Anthem and here are all these beautiful souls who are investing in me and, and also blessed by me and blessing me. And it's so mutual. And all of a sudden I can't even carry the net full of fish back you know but then I bring it to Jesus and he's like yeah but I don't need this fish I already have breakfast ready <laughs> but bring it like bring bring it man bring it to the table and so that's the encouragement is like we bring this we bring everything we can to the table to feed each other and then Peter part two here paraphrase Peter is like sitting there and Jesus is like hey Peter you denied me three times do you love me and Peter's like, yeah, I love you. <laughs> and then Jesus just says, like, feed my sheep. 
right? And that happens three times. And so poor Peter is just like a wreck. He's just a train wreck. And Jesus is saying, like, do you love me? Three times, right? The same number of times that he denied him. Yeah. And he keeps saying, yeah, I love you. I'll do anything. And then Jesus just keeps saying, feed my sheep. And so that's where this communion thing comes in because he's telling Peter, like, hey, feed my sheep. And we have the sense of feeding each other. It's so important to feed each other and to be in each other's lives. And I think communion reminds us how we feed each other in a physical sense. And yeah, like we have our tortilla chips and we have our beer or we have our home baked sourdough bread from Luke and Zoe. Mm. And we have our wine from Matt and Alyssa's wine club thing that they deal with. And, you know, there's all these different options that we have and we have zoom calls and, and we break bread and we drink and we feast on the Lord's Supper, because this is the body of Jesus Christ broken for you, Christian. So take it and eat it. And this is the blood of the new covenant in Christ, Christian. So take it and drink it. Cheers. Let's party. So good. So good. Thanks for that, man. Cheers. That was a, that was a this weak is, cheers. That's a self cheers. That was not part of that cheers. Here you go. <laughs> there it is. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for that encouragement. Um, convinced, uh, and, I, and I said this about the, the last interview I recorded earlier today, that I think no matter who's listening, I think I'm, I'm assuming and I'm excited that anyone can find themselves in some part of the story and the encouragement. So thanks for your vulnerability, your honesty. Um, thanks for your encouragement. Uh, thanks for your participation in the life of this weird, wacky little church community that we're both a part of together. Um, and thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Um, we'll leave it at that. I think, I think this has been plenty. (laughs) Did we do a good job though? Like, uh, one foot in each side of being like excellent and horrible. That's all I really wanted. I wanted to shoot for like... Bring it a full circle. Yeah. We'll let the listeners decide. Yeah. Leave a comment. Like and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Smash that like button. Smash that like, yeah. (laughs) I don't even know what people are supposed to do. This is an audio pod. In in an age of social media and visual medium, I'm I'm choosing to go backwards and do audio only, so... I think it makes sense. No, I mean, we've got... Next step is we're going to start putting out records. Yeah. And then we're just going to do like... Dude, this this episode on vinyl, it's got an A side and a B side. It was basically made for wax, baby. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Bye, Anthem. Thanks again, Joseph, for sitting down and talking with me and being very real, very vulnerable, very honest. Uh, It is a difficult thing to put yourself out there and to share some of the deepest and and hardest parts of your life. And so well done. I think it's a a model, an example of the kind of vulnerability um, and and safety for vulnerability that, that the family of God should breed in us. And so thank you for that. Thanks for listening along. I know it was a bit of a long episode, but I, I do hope that it was worth it for you and that even you were listening for those moments of 
um, sort of uh, gospel fluency. You were listening for those moments where God was taking some of the hardest parts of Joseph's life and, and making something beautiful out of it. And so as with everybody, the story is ongoing, but love, love what God has been teaching Joseph through this season. Uh, so thanks again, Joseph. Thanks for listening along. Uh, I'm really excited to continue bringing more stories in our People of Anthem series. Um, But uh, in the meantime, we're going to jump back into the Tuesday pod next week, and I'll bring you another story on the Thursday pod. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next time.